0: Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thank you, Julie. I could listen to you read scripture every week. Thank you. It's great. Uh, Good morning, Christ community. It's great to be with you Uh, this morning for gathered worship. My name is Andrew Campbell. I'm a pastoral fellow here at Christ Community and a pastor, associate pastor on staff, primarily here at the Leawood campus, and it's really good to open God's Word together on this holiday weekend. Uh, You know, 4th of July is really kind of, it's a big deal in my family. It's right underneath Christmas, so I love this weekend, but You know, when you're the low man on the totem pole, you preach on holiday weekends, right? So uh, it's, but this is a privilege. This is a great privilege to get to open the word with you. I was not planning on saying any of that, and now I'm wishing I hadn't said any of it. I love you, Alan, everybody. Okay. So my wife, Bethany, and I are not huge TV watchers. We, You know, we've got a couple regular shows that we like to watch. Uh, in the fall, especially on Saturday afternoons, uh, that's all I do is watch college football, especially if K State is on the air. But really, we don't have, oh, thank you, really, we don't have a lot of TV shows that we love to watch. But Netflix kind of changed all of that for us, right? You know, you, you get suggestions. You can hear, you can watch a TV show after it's aired in its entirety. And you kind of get a sense for, is this going to be a, is this a good show? Is this critically acclaimed? You know, is it going to be a, worth my time? And then you can, if you really want to, spend eight hours in a row binge-watching a show. And I know some of you here have done that before, right? And one program that recently wrapped up a six-year run on AMC with a mile-long list of nominations and awards is Breaking Bad. And a couple weeks ago, I actually gave that show a shot. Now... Hear me clearly up front. This show is not, is not for everyone. It's definitely not family-friendly. I didn't know that, actually, when I first started watching it. I, I didn't do the thing that you're supposed to do with Netflix and get the suggestions or get an idea of the show. I just heard, oh, it's a good show. I should jump in and watch it. But it's not for everyone. And I'm not even sure if I'm going to continue with it. But I will say this. I've never seen another show that so accurately so vividly and so terrifyingly depicts the nature of the human condition than this show. In fact, its theology on this front is scary good. If you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Of course, they don't get the whole story right, and they're certainly not working from the Bible. But when it comes to the problem of evil or what's wrong with the world, you don't really have to, right? It's pretty obvious that something has gone terribly wrong. Just look around, turn on the radio, flip on the TV, look in the mirror. Now, there's one scene from the show in particular that gets right at this, and we're going to watch it in just a moment. And I want to warn you right now, it's kind of a PG-13 clip, sort of really because we have a PG-13 problem. And the message of this clip is extremely powerful. Now, if you don't know the premise of the show, it's about a high school chemistry teacher who is diagnosed with lung cancer, and it's not good. And so he actually decides to start cooking crystal meth to support his family after he dies. You know, it's, again, it's not a show for everyone. And as the show goes on, Walt, the main character, he and this, his, an ex-high school student, Jesse, build this evil drug empire, and they fall in love with the power and the money. In the following scene, Jesse's a t- he's attending a support group, trying to work through all these problems that he's got. And when the group tells him that he's just got to accept himself, that it's not that bad, he's just not satisfied. Again, sincere apologies for some of the minor language, but even that serves the point. So let's watch the clip together.
0: So the truth is, we can't change the past. What's done is done. we got to own our actions, but putting ourselves on trial, acting as our own judge, jury, and executioner, is not the answer. Because a lot of the time, all that judging does is just to ensure that we're going to repeat the cycle. Right? We're not here to sit in judgment. Why not? The thing is... If you just do stuff and nothing happens... ...what's it all mean? What's the point? All oh, right, this this whole thing is about self-acceptance. Kicking yourself doesn't give meaning to anything. So I should stop... ...judging... ...and accept. To start... ...so no matter what I do... Hooray for me, because I'm a great guy. It's all good. No matter how many dogs I kill, I just, what, do an inventory and accept? I mean, you back your truck over your own kid, and you, like, accept? What a load of crap. Hey, Jesse, I know you're in pain. No, you you know what? Why I'm here in the first place is to sell your meth. You're nothing to me but customers. You okay with that? Huh? You accept? About time.
1: Jesse Pinkman, the theologian. He knows something deep down, even when it condemns him. If you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? What's the point? Like Jesse, you know better than just accept yourself. Just accept the world. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know this. You were never meant to live like this. You were never meant to live like this. You know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. This world isn't the way it was meant to be. I was never meant to be impatient with Beth, or fight against lustful thoughts, or grieve unspeakable loss. You were never meant to battle cancer, or walk through the pain of job loss, or fight with your parents, or spend money that you don't have. We were never meant to cut corners at work, go back on our word, or find our sense, our sense of worth in anything. Well, anything other than God himself. We were never meant to live like this. And we know that we can't just accept it. Like Jesse, we know if you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? What's the point? Does it really matter? And that's the question we're asking this summer. Does it really matter? Does it really matter what we believe about God? We, we found that The answer was a resounding yes, the one who is good and great. Does it really matter what we believe about the Bible, God's love letter to us? And this morning, does it really matter what we believe about the human condition, about people? Does it really matter how we answer the question, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Of course, I'm convinced it does matter. We need to know the nature and the extent of the problem if if we're going to understand the solution. And in our culture, the solution often isn't very satisfying, is it? Just accept yourself. This is the way it is. We're human, after all. It's not that bad. But here's the thing the problem is actually worse than you and I think. The Bible calls it sin, and it's serious. Let's, let's actually pause here and just pray and ask God to be with us and teach us this morning. God, I pray that as we open your word, um, that you, your spirit would teach and convict and clarify and renew us, and that where I say my own words, that they would quickly be forgotten, but where I speak your word after you, you would work in powerful ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text is Romans 5, starting at verse 12, and we're introduced right away to sin in our text. It's just four words in. It says, therefore, just as sin. So sin is the problem, and we'll spend our time this morning getting to know it a little better. right, that sounds like fun, right? Let's get to know sin a little better. We'll see three things in particular. First, sin is an imposter. Second, sin is pervasive. And sin is fatal. First, sin is an impostor. Look with me at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And Paul stops there, so that's where we're going to stop. Did you catch that? Sin came into the world. And Paul's point, while implicit, is actually pretty clear. If sin came into the world, that means there was once a time when sin wasn't in the world. So let's jump back from this phrase into the garden of Genesis, particularly Genesis 3. The world God made, the one we were created for, was perfect. There was wholeness, harmony, harmony pure relationship with God. We were meant to live in a world like that. And we were made in God's image with the capacity to know and to love and to work and to choose, to obey or disobey, to say yes to God or to say no to him. And that's exactly what played out in Genesis 3. Satan the deceiver came offering a counterfeit happiness. He said, God's holding out on you. You can't really trust him. You don't need him. You'll be happier if you trust me. Go ahead. Choose your own way. A terrible imposter entered the world in that moment and hasn't left. Sin is deceptive, and it's worse than you and I think because it looks like the real deal, doesn't it? In fact, it feeds off of things that are the real deal, that God made good. It sucks the life out of true goodness, like a, like a parasite. C.S. Lewis said this about good and, good and evil. He said, goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. And there must be something good before it can be spoiled. See, God made a perfect world. It was good. And then sin came in. And it's an imposter. It looks like it's going to satisfy. It promises happiness and fulfillment. It promises that this time, you'll be glad that you made the trade. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. You'll be glad you chose your own way instead of listening to God. You'll be happier if you choose pornography Instead of God's design for intimacy in the marriage bed, you'll be better off cheating to make the grade rather than working with integrity and honesty. It's better to hold that grudge and harbor bitterness inside instead of forgiving in the manner of Jesus. You'll be glad you traded this for that, sin for what is good. That's the lie. Sin's a deceptive imposter. It's a counterfeit. And that's what makes it so dangerous. But it gets worse. When sin entered, all of the created order began to come unraveled. Everything has gone horribly wrong. Not just humanity's relationship with God, or even with one another. Disease. Natural disasters. Brokenness at every turn. And it's all our fault. As you understand our world and humanity and the brokenness, just remember, and here's a really cheery thought for your holiday weekend, we open that door and let the imposter in. Now, you know, we let let every horrible thing, every nightmare, every broken heart, come on in. Now, we like to blame God because it gets us off the hook, right? Earthquakes, war, cancer, divorce, deformity. We shake our finger at God and ask, why, God? Why did you do this? But we forget that this is not the world that he made. Not like this. We were never meant to live like this. None of this mess would exist if we hadn't rebelled. Sin is that bad. This is what we've done with the world. We open the door to the most horrible imposter. We can't pin this stuff on God. He didn't intend for us to live like this. Donald Miller, the author of Blue Light Jazz, he, talks, he writes about a story of a, of a man that was confessing to him that he was cheating on his wife. And he records his thoughts in that moment with his friend. He says... Designed for good, my friend was sputtering and throwing smoke. The soul was not designed for this, I thought. We were supposed to be good, all of us. We were supposed to be good. But we we're to blame. We never should have joined Adam's rebellion. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, wait a second, I don't, I don't remember being in the garden joining some kind of uprising against God? How can this be pinned on me? I wasn't there. Well, because like it or not, sin affects all of us. Sin is pervasive. That's the second point this morning. Sin is pervasive. Look again at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, then jump to 18, therefore, as as one trespass, led to condemnation for all men, or verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. You see the connections there. One man leads to the many. It's all over this passage, and here's Paul's logic. Adam disobeyed God in the garden, and sin entered the world with all of its consequences, and it affects every one of us. All men sinned. Now, ladies, you're not off the hook. It's just an unfortunate translation. It says... All of humanity are culpable. We're all culpable in this sin situation. We're all affected immediately and universally, like a terrible plague. But how is that fair? Right? I mean, Adam blew it, he's the one that started it. Why should we have to suffer? Well, Paul said in verse twelve that all sinned. And what he means by that is that when Adam sinned, we did too. We're all included. This is the doctrine of original sin and it's it's actually kind of hard for us to get our mind around because we swim in pretty individualistic waters. In a culture like our own it's you know there there are other cultures that have this strong sense of of collective identity. And it's not near it's you know not as difficult for them to get this, but for us it's really hard. See Adam was our representative. In fact, the word Adam in, in Hebrew is it's just a Hebrew word for man or mankind or humanity. Now, don't get me wrong. Adam was a real person in time and space, but he, he was more than just a person. He was mankind, and quite literally, Adam was the source of every person who's ever lived, which means in a strange but very real sense that we were there with Adam when he took the fruit. Which, all week, I've been trying to, I mean, it's it's kind of blown my mind all week to think about this. It's hard to wrap your head around. Our genetic wiring has been one of sin and guilt ever since the fall. It's like our own family trees. We're a product of our parents. Genetically, socially, personally, emotionally, even morally, children are products of their parents. There's just no way around it. The sins of the father affect the son. It's true to life and experience. It's also true of our our father, Adam, and our mother, Eve. None of us has a fresh start, so to speak. And author Gary Willis has said it well. He says, there's no clean slate of nature unscribbled on by all one's forebears." I love that. At one time, a woman of unsavory enough experience was delicately but cruelly referred to as having a past. The doctrine of original sin states that humankind, in exactly that sense, has a past. You and I have a past, and really as unfair as that may sound, do you think you would have done any better yourself in the garden? I know I've rebelled against God in the same way. I would have taken the fruit. I would have listened to the imposter. We see the impact all around us, and there's something very wrong with the world. And G.K. Chesterton, famous author and theologian, when asked what's wrong with the world, he gave this famous reply He said, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. He hit the nail on the head. You and I are what's wrong with the world, and we're worse than we think. Now, no one had to show us how to sin. I remember this uh, when I spend really any kind of extended time with my beautiful niece, Ellie. There she is with my nephew, Reed. Uh, they are adorable. Uh, I, she, I am really her favorite, which is a great thing. It's a beautiful thing for an uncle. Uh, I remind Beth all the time, that there will be some day when I will be the weird uncle, and they will have this amazing bond, and it will be great. But anyways, this, you know I love this little girl, but here's, here's the thing. She can throw a temper tantrum with the best of them. It's almost comical, right? The dramatic backward head toss, the pounding of the sand, and the instant tears that demand, give me what I want and do it right now. Parents, you know, I, I mean, you guys know this, right? This has happened. Uh, she's two, people. She's two years old. She didn't learn these moves from mom and dad, or at least I hope she didn't. <laughs> she didn't learn them from aunt and uncle. Well, I guess she could have, probably. But as terrible as it sounds, my little Ellie, and Reed for that matter, they have a past. But they were never meant to live like that. We're all included. That's original sin. We're also totally infected. This plague is not only spread to every one of us, it's spread to every part of every one of us. It's the doctrine of total depravity. We're all totally depraved. And here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could possibly be. We know that's not true. We see goodness all around us. Total depravity means that every part of us has been affected by the plague of sin. We often talk around here about how the gospel speaks to every nook and cranny of our lives. Now, why do we say that? Because every nook and cranny of our lives needs a solution to the pervasive problem of sin. Sin is pervasive and it's worse than you think because there's nothing you can do about it. You're included from birth and you're totally infected. You can't make it right. Even our attempts to be good are infected. Like a cancer, the harder your body works to defeat it, the stronger it becomes. Now, how does that sit with you this morning? If you're anything like me, you sense that this might be true, and you still try to fix it all yourself. It's a terribly conflicting situation. You think, I'll just try a little harder to be better, to be a better person. Surely there's something I can do to tip the scales in my favor. But sin at its core isn't really about all the bad things you do. If it were, maybe you could do something about it. Sins, little s, sins, are a problem. It's it's bad news. Rule-breaking is bad news. But they're only the symptom of a deeper disease. The disease of sin has us constantly trying to make other things, even good things, more central to our identity than our relationship with God. But we weren't made for that. We were made to know God deeply and intimately and be whole in his presence. But look at your heart. It's obvious that no, no matter how it started, this plague has spread. Sin is pervasive and it's worse than we think. But the worst news isn't just that we're bad people. It's that we're dead people. See, sin is fatal. It brings death. Last I checked, there's not much a dead person can do to better their situation. Actually, there's not much anyone can do for you if you're dead. Death is the worst. It's the final enemy. Well, this has been fun, right? (laughs) Everything's our fault because we rebelled. We're infected with this soul-devouring disease. And oh, did I mention we're all dead. Aren't you glad you came this holiday weekend to Christ Community at Campus? Look with me at verse 14. Stay with me. Some of you are thinking, verse 14, oh my, are we ever going to get through this passage? Uh, look at verse 14. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and then Paul goes on an aside, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Look at that. Death reigned, even when sin was not pointed out or given a face or a name by the law. Because of sin, death is unavoidable. It's the powerful consequence of sin. And that's no surprise, right? It happened just as God said it would in Genesis 3. If you you eat of this tree, you will die. But what kind of death are we talking about here? What does Paul mean? The death spread to all humanity. Of course, there's physical death, and that's what we usually think about. It's one of the two things that are unavoidable in this world, right? Death and taxes. I mean, humans have been dying for a pretty long time, right? We see it everywhere. There's a 100% death rate, and yet we still fight it, we fear it, we grieve over it, and we absolutely despise it. The only conclusion I can make from that is that we were never meant for death. But it's not just physical death that ails us, it's spiritual death too. Adam and Eve didn't drop dead at the base of that tree. Their physical death came much later, but their relationship with God changed in an instant. There was shame and hiding, knowledge of their guilt and blame tossed around at every turn. They once enjoyed sweet fellowship with God, communion with Him, wholeness. Now there was distance, hiding, separation, and that's death. What some people have called total death. Physical death is just an expression of this deeper problem. Separation from God. It's the exact opposite of what we were made for. Some people hate, and I'm I'm kind of in this camp, hate going to hospitals because of all the disease and the death and the sickness. You know, it's hard to blame them. Hospitals are a sobering place. But even more sobering is what happens when people try to treat symptoms instead of diseases. Right? Imagine walking through a hospital, and in one room, there's a person that, I mean, you can tell they're, it's bad, right? They're not going to make it. I mean, you're no doctor, or maybe you are, but anyone can see it. Their symptoms are bad, bad, bad. In another room, there's someone who looks perfectly fine. you... Know, you You have a good conversation you laugh with them you think they're going to be all right except they have an incurable disease you can't see the symptoms but death is there imminent and some of you some of us look just fine don't we we've got our sins in check at least the big ones but our hearts are far from God. There's separation. And that disease is silently killing you. God hates sin, and here's even worse news: judgment is coming. Let's just let that sit for a second. I mean, this is something we don't really like to talk about much. That God sits in judgment over sin. Ephesians 2 says, we are by nature children of wrath, enemies of God. That's that's bad news. Verse 18, condemnation for all people. Sin brought death, separation from God. And it's a death that goes on forever, if not cured. Eternal death, hell. Hell. Our statement of faith captures the human condition really well. Look with me at the screen. It says, we believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, as our representative, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. We are separated from God and under his wrath. Sin demands justice, and we know this, especially those of us who believe the Bible to be true and read it and take it at its word. But even those outside of the Christian faith at least want to believe this is true, that sin demands justice. Sin is that bad. There's an interview a while back with Breaking Bad's creator, Vince Gilligan, who was raised a Catholic but now would consider himself agnostic. And he says this about evil and justice. Listen carefully. He says, I can stand the thought that there's no heaven, but I don't know that I can stand the thought that there's no hell. Because you know, where is Hitler then? Where's Pol Pot? There's got to be some kind of payback. I'm not saying there is, but we tend to want to believe that there is. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to answer for this problem that we see all around us. Gilligan feels it. You feel it. If we do stuff and nothing happens, what does it all mean? We were never meant to live like this. And there's only one solution. There's only one way to be made whole again. But let's not rush to the good news. The bad news really needs to sink in. In fact, the remedy is only desirable if we realize how terrible the problem is. Sin is an imposter. It's pervasive, and it's fatal. It's worse than we think. We're going to take a few minutes just to reflect on that. How is that true for you? in your own life and experience? How are the consequences of sin palpable in your own life, even now? How are you taking sin lightly? How might you be thinking about sin in ways that are are not as bad as it really is? And what does God want you to do about it? If you've never turned to God and away from your sin... Now is the time. You can do that. Repent. Ask for God's forgiveness and call on Him to save you. There's good news that I've been bursting at the seams to tell you. I mean, I've felt it up here, it's been weighty. Yes, sin is an imposter. It's pervasive. We're all included and we're totally infected. And, it, and it's fatal. It brings death. But for those who choose Christ, it is defeated. Sin is a, a defeated enemy. Randy's going to come up in just a minute and he's going to play a song that I want us all to continue just to rest in. a moment. It communicates the depth and the nature and the extent of this problem that we know as sin and death. And it also communicates the beautiful nature of the good news. Now all we know is grace. I love that line. In any other story, death is the end judgment is all that's left but that's not the end of this story our sin is worse than we think but God's grace is better than you or I can ever imagine there's infinitely more grace in God than there is sin in us and maybe you think it's not fair that Adam's sin is ours But the good news is equally unfair. Jesus's perfection can be yours too. It's pure grace. That's what Jesus brings. And that's coming for the next two weeks. Can I get an amen that you don't have to hear this again? (laughs) The next two weeks is all about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus is the new and better Adam. Instead of rebellion, there's obedience. Instead of judgment, there's grace. And instead of death, it's a beautiful, everlasting, joy-filled life in God's presence that starts right now. And here's how the statement of faith finishes. I read the first part. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. Rescued from the problem of sin, reconciled with God, and made new in Christ. Yes, our sin shows us that we are worse than we could ever imagine. But the cross reminds us that we are more loved than we'd ever dare to dream. And the cure has begun. It's available right now if you turn to Jesus in faith. We were never meant to live like this. And the good news? Because of Jesus, we don't have to.